Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. There's a little bit of preparation that is necessary when you, every time you come up here, you have to make sure you have your water, you have to set your time, you have to turn on the mic, and then you have to say good morning. Anyway, good morning, everyone. Um, It's good to see everyone here this morning. Um, Am I right? Am I wrong in thinking that today is Mother's Day? It depends, right? My wife was saying this morning that how many Mother's Days are we going to celebrate? That we've celebrated one already, right? Yes. So there are two. Yes. Anyway, for all the mothers in here, happy Mother's Day. Thank you. Um, sorry, sorry, what is that? Only the African one is correct. Well, it's Mother's Day. And for some reason, if you don't say happy Mother's Day when it's Mother's, when it's mother's Day, some people might be upset with you. So I want to use this opportunity to say not just to all the mothers here, but also to my wife as well. Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) All right. um, We've been, we we recently commenced a series called The Lord's Voice. We started last week, and it's supposed to run for the month of May. Um, So last week, we started with the topic, The Lord's Voice is Special, where we looked at Psalm 19, and it was quite um, enlightening. Today, we are going to look at another topic called the Lord's voice is authoritative, looking at the scripture that Bola read this morning. Now, before I start, I would like us to pray for a moment. Our Father in heaven, as we have sung this morning, we ask that you speak to us because we know that when you speak, O oh Lord, that our hearts indeed will change. We pray, O oh Lord, that you silence every thought that is anti-you, O Lord, and you help us to see the truth in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Okay. Right. So when I was preparing for this sermon, I was trying to think of my three points. You know, we have have this classic three points, right, that you have to give. I was trying to think of my three points, and I was like, listen, you have to come up with something brilliant. You know, one of those nice-sounding things where everything starts with the same letter or ends with the same phrase, you know, and I thought for about an hour. And I couldn't come up with anything. I said, before you disgrace yourself here, Francis, how about you just stick with what is in the Bible? So what I've done here is my three points are just what I've lifted from the Bible. So we're going to cover this topic of the Lord's voice is authoritative in three points. Point one is cleverly devised fables. Point two, completely reliable message. And point three, light in the darkness. So let's start with point one, 
let me ask you a question. If you have ever heard this phrase before, I don't want, I'm not asking about your response to the phrase, but if you have ever heard this phrase, or even if you have used the phrase before, we're about to start something. If you've ever heard the phrase, God told me, or God told me to tell you, right? Or God said to me, if you've ever used the phrase, or if you've heard the phrase before, raise your hand. That should be everybody in this hall. It can't be anybody else, right? All right. I imagine that some of us here may have used that phrase as well, and rightly so. But the response, if I judge this congregation right, will be one of two things, right? It would either be that you embrace this person, as in immediately you hear God told me this, you just, you're all ears, you want to hear exactly what God told you. Or, like me a few years ago, as soon as you hear somebody say, God told me, you're like this. <laughs> what is this guy trying to say here? You know, and you're waiting to, you know, no, 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 I don't think that God told you that. You know, you're, already, you're already basically ready to, you know, this, tell the person that you're, 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 he's not sure of what he's saying. So that was me a few years ago. I think I've, changed, I've improved a little bit. Every time I hear that, I'm willing to listen, right? But here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to do an exercise. Indulge me. I don't stand here too often, so just indulge me, right? In this exercise, it will be five short stories of people that either heard or used this phrase, God told me, or God said to me, or God told me to tell you, or God wanted me to let you know. One of those kinds of phrases. They are real life stories, by the way. But I want you to imagine that you are the person receiving this message. And I want you to tell me what your response is going to be. Your response is probably going to be one of two responses. So either I, I think it's probably God's voice, or uh, I'm not quite sure it's God's voice. OK? Just indulge me. So here's the first story. Um, a guy came to somebody and said, God told me to tell you that if you don't fast for 30 days, one of your children will die. What do you think? If you think it's probably God's voice, say, yeah. If you don't think it's God's voice, say, mm-mm. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, number two. I heard the voice of the Lord as clear as day, and he told me that no one in this world will go to hell, that he's too loving a father to allow any of his creation to go through that type of suffering. Eh? Okay, you don't want me to ask the question. It's, mm. All right. Number three. This was in a scenario where tongues were being, um, the gift of tongues were, was being expressed in a congregation, and people were looking forward to the interpretation of those tongues. And somebody who had the gift of interpretation said, God is speaking to us all, and he's saying that we should all give each other a big hug. So if you think it's the voice of God, say, yeah. If you think it's not the voice of God, say, mm-mm. All right. There's a middle ground, by the way. There's a middle ground. All right. Number four, we're getting to the end of this. As I prayed and meditated, God said to me as clearly as I can distinguish my wife's voice, come and see what I have done. I am awesome in my deeds towards the children of man. I turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There they rejoiced in me who rules by my might forever. I keep watch over the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. If you think that is the Lord's voice, say yeah. yeah. If you think it's not the Lord's voice or it's somehow, say mm-mm. If you think it is somewhere in the middle, say uh, I'm not so sure. <laughs> All right, here's the last one, the last one, okay. God called me 
and told me not to go through Third Mainland Bridge to Ikeja, but instead I should go through Western Avenue so I could avoid an unforeseen traffic jam. If you think that is the Lord's voice, say yeah. If you think it is not the Lord's voice, say mm-mm. If you think it is somewhere in the middle, it could be or it could not be, say yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you for indulging me in that exercise. But let me ask you something. What do you think you have just done? You have done what Paul asks you to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. You have done what is called weighing. You have heard something, and you have weighed it against something else. Something perhaps in the back of your mind, or some knowledge that you, put, you have somewhere that allows you to actually do that weighing. That's exactly what you have done. And I dare say that every time we hear somebody say, God said to me, every time we think we've seen a vision, every time we think we've heard a voice, every time we have had a dream or whatever it is, we always do that. We always do that weighing. The problem is, what are we weighing with? You see, when Paul says weigh, when two or three prophets speak, the other should weigh carefully. He's using an analogy of a scale. And in the olden days, the scale was actually used in such a way that if you wanted to know the weight of one thing, you took the weight of something that was known and exact and used that to determine what the weight of this is. So if you look at some of the old, these days we have modern scales that have pressure sensors that if you step on them, it tells you your weight digitally. But if you go to some older scales, you will notice that there's a, there are some scales for, for your body weight that has a bar, like a bar that you can, you can slide weights across. Now what is happening there is that you're trying to determine your weight with something that is already well known. And because that thing is true to its weight, that thing that you're weighing against is true to its weight, that is why you can use that to determine what the weight of the unknown is. That is what weighing is. You always do it. Whether somebody comes and tells you that tomorrow you will die, or somebody comes and tells you what is in scripture, you always do the weighing. The problem is, what are you using to actually do that weighing? By the way, all the stories I told you are actually encounters that I have had with people or I have read about. So the first one where he was talking about if you don't fast for 30 days, one of your children would die, it was a boss of mine who told me that that was what somebody, uh, 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 somebody else told him. He didn't fast for 30 days and none of his children died. The fourth one, which Femi rightly pointed out, is an experience of a pastor in, in the United States of America called John Piper, who said that when he was praying and meditating in the morning, he actually heard the voice of the Lord say these things to him, except that it was the exact words of Psalm 66, verse 5 to 7. And the last one, verse 5, which one you guys said was somewhere in the middle, is actually another friend of mine who was telling me that he really did hear a voice tell him God told him to pass a different route rather than um, Third Milan Bridge to get to Ikeja. These are real life stories. My point here is that we always have to listen to these things and we always have to compare it against something else. What we are going to talk about today is that something else. You see, in our society here in Nigeria, especially here in Lagos, one of the things that we are faced with is a mishmash of different things. We have people who use this phrase, God told me, um, you know, very, very freely without any reservations, you know, without re wanting to know whether really God told them or whether it is, not, it is actually the voice of the Lord who is actually saying this. We are, and it, it is something that has to do with our nature. 
by our very nature, we are caught up in those kinds of things. That is why there is a tendency for us to want to pay attention to visions. We, are, we like the extraordinary, right? We have a dream and we want to know what is the meaning of this dream. It is not without cause. It is because we read scriptures and we see certain things in scriptures and we think, hmm, this guy had a very wonderful experience. I would like to have the same experience that this guy had. And so when we have a dream, whether that dream has no meaning or no thing, nothing at all, there is a tendency for us as human beings to want to actually give credence to that dream or give credence to that vision or give credence to something that somebody is saying. But there are also other reasons. And I dare say that there are sad ones as well. People will come and say to you, oh, God said to me this, or God is saying this to me, because they perhaps want to lend more authority to their voice. They want you to pay attention to what they are saying. They may not really believe that God said a particular thing to them, but they think that by saying this thing, or by saying that God told me or God wanted me to tell you, they immediately get your attention and you want to listen to them. But I would, I would add that whether it is because people want you to listen to them or people want to give credence or give authority to what they are saying, there is a deeper thing to the reason why we actually want to use these phrases, God told me or God said to me. And I think it's because at the very heart of it, as human beings and more so as Christians, we really long to hear the voice of God. There is a longing in our hearts to actually hear from God and know what God is saying. And so, it brings me to the passage that Bola read for us this morning. And I will connect what the point I'm trying to make with the passage. But let me say something about this passage in 2 Peter chapter 1. So the story has it here that Peter was actually trying to refute certain things. And you see this in the, in the, in the subsequent chapter. Certain things that other um, false prophets were actually trying to deceive or, or, or persuade people away from the message that, that Peter was actually preaching. The particular thing in contention here is actually the message of the return or the coming of our Savior Jesus Christ, his second return. So when, when Peter says that, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, the first thing I want you to observe here is that the coming that we see in verse 16 is actually the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, not his first coming. The, the, the Greek phrase used there is the parousia, which always, every time it's used in the, in the New Testament, refers to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he's saying that we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So Peter is saying that as he has already taught them about the second coming, that's what he says in the preceding verses, it is a serious doctrine. The doctrine of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is a serious doctrine. One of the problems I think that sometimes we as human beings get swayed by the things that we hear is because there is also a tendency, and it's a, it's a natural tendency. When I say natural, I mean it's because um, it is the, it's a natural desire of our flesh to want to live and focus on the here and now. Whereas as Christians, one of the things that should be our focus should be the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So because there is a tendency for, one, for us to want to live in the here and now, there is also a tendency for us to want to hear the things that would either make our lives comfortable here or the things that threaten us, threaten to take away our comfort in this life. So as soon as you hear, oh, if you don't do this and this, something evil or something negative will happen to you, that pricks your mind and you want to say, okay, so that that thing doesn't happen to me, let me pay attention to this thing this person is saying, without necessarily giving credence to whether 
the whole package of what that person is saying makes any bearing, especially in the, in the grand scheme of what God is doing. But Paul is emphasizing the coming of our Savior Jesus Christ, and he's saying that this thing is important. And listen, we did not follow cleverly devised fables when we brought you this message. Why? Because we had an experience that was so real, so real to us. We saw and we heard something that made us sure that Jesus Christ is going to come again in glory. And that's what he's referring to when he goes into verse 17. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. What Peter is reminding us here, or trying to remind his listeners here about, is an event that happened in, on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? And you can see that in Matthew chapter, I think it's in Matthew chapter 17. And there you see that what the disciples saw, so this is what is popularly known as the, the Mount of Transfiguration because of what happened there. So what they saw was Peter, James, and John, and they saw Jesus Christ in such great glory that they couldn't look at him. They had to bow their heads down, and they were terrified. But that was just a glimpse of the glory that they perceive and that the Bible helps us see Jesus will return with. And by, so, and by seeing that, by hearing God's voice himself say to them, this is the voice, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, what they tend to, it, it, it shifts their focus to say, we are now sure that Jesus Christ is going to come again. So what he's saying to them is that we are not looking or we are not telling you about something that has been concocted in the mind of somebody. Let me say something at this point in time. One of the main differences between myths or I will even put into the same category things that people say. You know, people, when people say, oh, um, this, is what Jesus, this is what God told me. And you can see that clearly that this, is, this guy is probably not saying the truth. One of the differences between that and the Christian faith is history. You see, when they tell you those kinds of things, what it is is something that is it's in somebody's head. The person has come up with an idea, he has come up with something, and he's saying that to you. Whereas when you look at what the Christian faith is all about, every time the disciples or the apostles want to make a point in the New Testament, they are telling you something historic that happened. They are proving their points by something not that they felt or something that they think about, but something that they saw and something that they heard. I'm an engineer, and I do a lot of research. In research, one of the main things that is important is that before you can publish a paper, before you can publish anything and call it knowledge that people would refer to, there has to be something extensive that is done. There are three methods by which you would do research. You can do research by experiment in engineering. You can do research by experiments where you actually conduct real-life experiments and see what the results of that exper those experiments are. Or you could do what is called mathematical models. So mathematical models that have been developed, or you develop your own mathematical models. But again, the mathematical models are based on real-life experiences, real-life experiments. Or finally, you can do what is called computer models. Those computer models at the same time are also based on real-life experiences. If you don't do any of these three things, if you don't do any of these three things, your paper that you are submitting for a journal or for a conference will not be accepted. This is exactly what a peer review means. When they go through those, those documents, the reason that they cannot accept it is because there is no way for them to actually test or prove that that thing that you're saying is true if it is just in your head. And there are many people that have submitted papers of things that they have conjured up in their heads that don't have any basis. 
even though you think and you believe with all your might that it is true, unless you are able to corroborate that with something that has happened experientially, it is not considered truth. It is not considered reliable. And so that is part of what Peter is trying to emphasize here in this letter when he says that it is not cleverly devised stories or it is not things that are conjured up in people's heads that we are bringing to you because we saw something that happened. Not only did we see Jesus Christ or a glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ, we also heard the voice of the Lord. That is how we know and we can tell you with all certainty that Jesus Christ is coming again. So the difference between cleverly devised fables or myths and the Christian faith that we all know today or the Christian faith that we all practice today is history. This is why the Bible is so, em is so emphatic on the word knowledge. In fact, in this particular letter, Peter is so emphatic on the word knowledge because he knows it is important to actually believing the messages. Or rather, it is important to not believing the false messages that the false prophets actually be, uh, bring. In this particular letter in verse 2, he says, Grace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. In verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need through our knowledge of him. Verse 5, make every effort to add to your virtue knowledge. If you have these things, you will not be unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's in verse 8. How do you, how do you obtain knowledge? It is by reliable observations of historical reality. If our faith as Christians is not grounded in historical reality, then it is a cleverly devised fable. So Peter chooses this experience of the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He witnessed the ascension of Jesus Christ. Why did he particularly pick this one? this one that has to do with the transfiguration. Why didn't he pick any of those other ones? The reason is very simple. This was the first time, and perhaps the only time, that they saw what they were able to call the glory of Jesus Christ. The same glory that they are saying Jesus Christ will return with. When John in John chapter 1 verse says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only true son, he was talking about this same experience. That brings me to my second point, completely reliable message. So in case you're saying to me, What's, Francis, what are you saying? Are you trying to tell me here now that we should not be looking out for, as in, we should not be looking out for visions or anything like that? But Peter, this Peter that you're talking about, he too, he saw visions now. There was one vision he saw plenty of meat coming down, coming down Abby, and somebody told him, kill and chop. Right? So what are you, what are you saying about, about this? My response is simple. My response is in verse 19. I, I will say I agree with you. Peter thinks, Peter saw that vision that you're talking about and he heard the voice of the Lord tell him something because God was trying to make a point to him. But Peter uses the story of the trans, of the, on the Mount of Transfiguration and the experience he had there because of the realness of that experience. But he doesn't stop there. It's remarkable what he says in verse 19. After telling them that, listen, we are sure because we saw Jesus Christ in his glory and we heard the voice of God. He says in verse 19, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. We also have the, the prophetic message as something completely re reliable. Let me, let me say something here a little bit about this, about this particular verse. 
there are two ways that phrase, completely reliable, is often interpreted or is often expressed in some of the translations that you will see. I'm sure if, you, if you're looking at your Bibles, you will see that some translations will say that we have the prophetic message made more complete or as it is in the NIV, as something completely reliable. The reason is because there are, always, there, are, there are two ways that it is often interpreted. The first way is this. The Old Testament is more reliable than the things that we saw and heard. That's what some people would, would think it's saying. The Old Testament message, that's the Old Testament prophecy, we consider it to be even more reliable than the things that we saw and that we heard. The other way, which is the way that you probably have it in some of the other translations, is that the things we saw and heard have only confirmed what we see in the prophetic word. The things that we saw and heard have only confirmed what we see in the prophetic word. I say that it is both of these, and I will explain why. So, in the first instance, it's not that the Old Testament message or the Old Testament prophets or prophecy is more reliable than the things that the apostles are saying. It is that as sure as the things we saw and heard is how sure you can be of the prophetic message. Because the message, the, 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 the Old Testament prophecy prophesied one thing. And you are seeing that thing that the Old Testament message prophesied come into reality. Which one of them is wrong? Which one of them is wrong? If there is a prophecy about a thing and the experience of that thing that, that, is, that has been prophesied and you see that come to reality, is the prophetic message wrong? Is the realization of that same prophetic message wrong? In fact, the one true test of prophecy that the Bible tells us is that when the prophecy is given, if it actually comes to pass, that is the true test, isn't it? Yeah. So really, what Paul is actually saying is that not, not that the experience they had is should be belittled or the prophetic message should be belittled. What he's saying is that we are confirming this thing with two evidences that we have. We have the one that we witnessed ourselves, but we also have the prophetic message, which we can tell you is very reliable. That's one. But on the other hand, he's saying that if we didn't have that experience, if we didn't have the experience that we saw on the Mount of Transfiguration, maybe you can come and accuse us of conjuring up things in our minds. Maybe you can come and say to us that you are not sure of the things that you're saying. But the fact that we have seen the prophetic message of the glorious coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we have seen a glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ, that... Um, um, what we witnessed on the Mount of Transfiguration only serves to complement this same thing that we have already been told about by the old prophets. Does that make sense? What we have seen on the Mount of Transfiguration serves to actually corroborate this thing that we are seeing in the message such that we are sure, we are now sure that it is definitely reliable. We can rely on this information. We can rely on what has been written as the Old Testament prophets because we have seen a glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament prophesies about the glorious coming of the Messiah. And he speaks, Peter speaks of that prophecy as more sure now because it has been confirmed on the Mount of Transfiguration. Because they have seen a preview of that glory. But that's not all. He says to them that we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. Let me read you a story from 2 Kings chapter 22. This will clearly illustrate the point I want to bring out here. I'm just going to read through the whole chapter. 
Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedida, daughter of Adiah. She was from Boscath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, to the temple of the Lord. He said, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrusted to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple, and have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord. Verse 8, Hilkiah, the, priest, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan, who read it. Then Shaphan, the secretary, went to the king and reported to him, Your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah, the high priest, Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. And the priest, uh, the priest Hilkiah the priest said to them, the Hilkiah the priest went to speak to the prophet Huda, who was the wife of Shulam. And she said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man who sent you to me. This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on, on this place and its people, according to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, and aroused my anger by all the idols their hands have made. My anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they will become a curse and be laid waste. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place. I've just read quickly through this chapter 22. And the point I'm trying to, I'm trying to show you here is that this is a story of a king who was a glimpse or rather a, a, a bit of a, a hope in the midst of many bad kings who, were, who the Bible described as people who did evil in the sight of the Lord. So you had Manasseh, you had Manasseh's son who was um, um, Ahaz. Both of these people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then you had Josiah who became king at the age of eight. And the Bible tells us from then on he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. Immediately after Josiah, you had somebody else, his son, who did evil in the sight of the Lord. And then there were other kings also who did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so you had this one person. But because you had had generations of evil kings or people who did evil in the sight of the Lord, what had happened was that people had forgotten what was written in the book of the law. And what was happening in the temple was basically an, an exact opposite of exactly of what God had told them had to happen. But because even with his good intentions, even with all of his good intentions to become a good king, Josiah did not even know, obviously because he didn't have that book, obviously because he didn't know what was written in the book, he didn't even know what was supposed to happen in the temple. So all he was concerned about was repairing the temple. He wasn't concerned about what was going on inside. And so when you read 1 Kings chapter 23, what you will see, immediately he reads the book and he sees what the prophet 
Huda has said, has said concerning him, he begins to give instructions about cleansing. The whole of chapter 23, or the majority of chapter 23, is about how King Josiah is actually doing a cleansing of the temple and a cleansing of his city because he's responding now to what has been written in the book. Peter is saying that we have the prophetic message as something completely reliable and we will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. That is the dark situation that Israel found themselves in. Because of the kings that had ruled before the king Josiah. The reason they were in that dark place is because they did not have the guide that was supposed to provide the light for them to actually do what was pleasing in the eyes of God. Josiah saw that book and he was able to respond to it, even if it was for a brief moment. I'm telling you now, beyond all we hear, beyond the visions, beyond the dreams, beyond the voices, there is nothing as reliable and as sure as what we have in the Bible. I want to start a movement. Hashtag, if anybody would like to hashtag it. GTM, God told me. Right? But that movement, when you use the word God told me, you know you can use that, you can use that phrase and be 101% certain that you are right if you pay attention to what is in this book. You don't need to guess. One of the questions I was going to ask is, if you have ever really heard the voice of God, if you say you've heard the voice of God, I haven't, but I know people who have. If you've heard the voice of God, I don't know. The reason I'm asking this question is because I really don't know. How can you truly say that, I re- that, that was the voice of God? How can you be sure without a doubt that it was not your voice that you heard and it was not the voice of the enemy that you heard? There is a story in 1 Kings chapter 22 of the king who wanted to, there was a king of Israel and a king of Judah. The king of Israel wanted to go to war. He asked the king of Judah to follow him. The king of Judah said, seek the counsel of the Lord. He called all the prophets And the prophets told him, my friend, go to war. The Lord has given over this Aram Gilead into your hands. You will kill all your enemies. And they were quoting scripture. And then they brought another prophet. So uh, um, um, the king of Judah said, no, why don't you actually seek more of God's counsel? And then they brought another prophet. And he said, do you know what? It is the intention of God to actually deceive you through the mouth of these prophets that have spoken. If you go to this war, what will happen? You will die. You will just die like a common. And, and actually, that's how he died. He died quite easily. He just got shot with an arrow, in, and the arrow pierced in between his armor plates, and he died. The point I'm trying to make here is that you can't say for certain, even though it might look credible, even though I dare say it is credible, that it is more reliable or more authoritative than what you have in the Bible. Another reason that we must pay attention to Scripture is that, as Peter says, it is not something that was tainted, that has been tainted by human interpretation. And this is what we see in verse um, 20. It's 20 and 21. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. 
For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets through humans spoke from God as they were prophets, though humans spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Again, this is one of those scriptures. If you look at your translations, you might see it translated in two different ways. In some translations, you will see no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. And in some other translations, you will see no prophecy of scripture came about by one's own interpretation of things. On the one hand, the latter is trying to say that when we are reading prophecy of scripture that we see in the Old Testament or in the Bible, that we cannot interpret it by ourselves, that we need the apostles' explanation or the apostles' help to be able to interpret it. But I like the NIV's um, rendition of it because I think that is even more true because it says, no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. This fits more with what Peter is saying in the whole book of um, Second Peter. Because what Peter is saying here is that he's trying to make the, the further point that this prophecy that you have in scripture is reliable. Do you know the reason why it's reliable? Because it carries authority that is above all other authorities. The authority that it carries is the authority of the voice of God himself. So that's why he's saying it is not human beings who have thought of all these things. It is not human beings that have interpreted the prophecy that you actually see in scripture. It is God himself who spoke through those humans walking through the Holy Spirit. And so he's just basically raising the point that it is even more reliable because it carries the authority, not of man, but the authority of God himself. Let me say something here about the difference between Old Testament prophecy and New Testament prophecy. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 14 that when prophets speak, the others should weigh carefully what is said. As we have seen in the exercise that we did this morning, that is something that we all do. The thing that we ought to be weighing it with is what we know is definitely true. This is the reason why we cannot but use what we have in the Bible as the thing that will guide us through this dark world. If we know what is in the Bible, whenever we hear things that are said to us, we are able to easily weigh what it is. The reason is because this has more authority than anything anybody else says. That is the reason why Paul is saying that you should weigh it carefully because it doesn't carry the same authority as something that we know. In the Old Testament, they didn't ask you to weigh what, they, what was said by the prophets. The Old Testament prophets spoke as though it was God who was speaking directly to the people. And what they said was directly written down for you and I to actually refer to today. But in the New Testament, what you see Paul and the other people telling us in 1 Corinthians and also in 1 Thessalonians is that whenever you hear prophecy, you should not despise it. You should not treat it with contempt, but you should do what? You should actually weigh it. You should consider it carefully taking that which is good and doing away with that which is evil. This brings me to my last point. Light in the darkness. Light in the darkness. When you read the Old Testament, one of the things that you will quickly see is that there is a cycle of, there is, there is a continuous cycle that is happening. You have an evil king, an evil king, or an evil generation, and then somehow, in the darkness of all the sin that is being committed, in the darkness of all the suffering and the oppression of people who are marginalized, you see another king that will rise up, and he will do what is right in the sight of the Lord. Immediately after that, you might have another spate or another generation of evil kings who would rule 
in the way that will be unpleasing to God. And then you will see another king that will rise up. This is what we see when we look at the first kings, second kings, first chronicles, and second chronicles as well. In fact, the, the story that I read to you is evident of that. Josiah was the one light that came out in the midst of that darkness. And we see other, other, other um, scenarios like that. It was this situation that God looked at, and in his infinite wisdom, he came up with the almighty plan of sending his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, as the once for all light in this dark world. Jesus Christ came. He lived his life here on earth. He died. He rose again. And we believe that as Christians. And because we believe that, we are called into his kingdom. But what he has done for us is that he has come as the perfect light that has shone in this dark world. Now, after his resurrection and his ascension, the further story is that we are awaiting his return. But while we wait for his return, we still live in a dark world. That is the reason why we are longing for his return as Christians. What Peter is telling us in this scripture today is that the apostles witnessed the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They are able to talk about it because of their witness to it. But they are saying to us that what we need to take us through this dark world as we wait for Jesus Christ to come again is a reliance on the testimony of that Jesus Christ that is contained in the pages of Scripture. It is the testimony of the same person, the same light that has come in the dark world. It is his testimony that is contained in all the pages of Scripture in the Old Testament and in the New. And that to see us through this dark world until Jesus Christ returns again, we need this word that is completely reliable. There is no way for us to do it except for us to actually rely on this word. Even when there was a glimpse of that light and darkness of sin, suffering still existed. Even now that we have seen Jesus Christ in his first coming, suffering does exist in this world. At least one of the biggest things that should bother us as Christians is that we are still bothered by sin. We are still bothered by sin, even with our best intentions to want to serve God with all our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our might. We still find ourselves falling into sin. Today we, we had a confession of sin because we know that as human beings, we fall often. That is one of the things that should drive us to really long for the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And Peter is saying that for us to get through that, the one thing that you can definitely rely on is what you have in Scripture, what you have written down that has been revealed to us through the Holy Spirit and through the enlightenment of people. If you're a Christian, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, let me use this opportunity to challenge you. To reconsider your view of the Bible, to reconsider your view of what you have in Scripture. Do you consider it to be what you will rely on? Or maybe to even change your minds as to how you see it in terms of guiding you through this world until the coming of Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, then I invite you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Because this scripture is the testimony of that man, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Thank you.
Our Lord and our God, we thank you because your word as we see in scripture is living and active. We thank you for helping us to see that the authority that it carries is the authority of God. We pray, O oh Lord, that you help us to indeed pay attention to it as Peter has admonished us and use it as a light that will shine for us in this dark place as we wait for the return of our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.